0: The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at northsferrychurch.org. To be or not to be? That is the question. You knew that. The rest of that. Who is that? What's that from? Shakespeare's Hamlet, right? Now, that was a, a very profound question. The idea was to live or not to live in light of the circumstances. Today, Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 has a similar but hopefully less dramatic question, to marry or not to marry. This is the question. Now, I, I've been rewriting my sermon in my head this morning after talking to the first church, first service. I was out there talking to a bunch of married couples, and they're all like, we're all questioning whether we're supposed to be married or not. And I'm like, oh, all right, let me rewrite that thing real quick in my head. But uh, remember what Paul, uh, Paul is doing in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He's working with Corinthians uh, and these Corinthians have been living in a an immoral society culture. They they were caught up in it, doing the, doing the same thing everybody else was doing, which was. Marriage was pretty much meaningless, treating it like a disposable commodity, throw it away like a paper towel when it's done. And separating from marriage, sexual relationships, and participating in sex outside of marriage. Remember in Corinth, in my background study, I I learned that the uh, prostitutes would descend from the hills uh, as the sun set, and it was just rampant immorality. And so that's the context to which Paul is writing, because these people who were participating in that kind of lifestyle... Uh, got saved. Paul came in and proclaimed the gospel. Remember, he was humble, he was tired, he needed a sabbatical, he was weak. And he says, man, I, I was fear and trembling. I was weak. It wasn't about me. I just told you that Christ died for your sins. He was buried. He rose from the grave. And if you will trust in Christ, you can be born again. You can be made holy, made right with God, declared righteous based on his righteousness and not your own. And people believed God gave them eyes and ears to hear the message and to receive it with faith. And as a result, they were enjoined to the community of faith, of followers of Christ. And now they're kind of all standing around going, wait, wait, what? So what we've been doing is not good in God's eyes? And Paul's explaining to them all of life, notice the uh, subtitle, seeing every part of life through the gospel. That's what Paul's doing in Corinthians. He's saying the gospel changes every aspect of your life. It should be the filter through which you make decisions for all areas of your life. And so we've seen how he's been talking about sex and marriage. And now today he comes to another topic of to marry or not to marry. Look at verse 25. Their question, he says, is, quote, concerning the betrothed. So this could be Concerning engaged couples, but the literal translation of the word betrothed is virgin. So the question Paul is answering is concerning the person who has never been married and is, has the commitment to remain sexually pure. Should that person marry or not marry? To marry or not to marry, this is the question. Now, if you're married, don't check out. Don't think, well, this message isn't for me because it is it could be for many reasons. Number one reason is that the basis upon which Paul answers this question, to marry or not to to marry, applies to all of us. Also, we see that many of us are raising children, and we need to teach our children how to think about marriage or not to marriage. So, all of us can learn from this, all of us can benefit, but yes, it is particularly tailored to the question of, should a person who's not married get married or not? Let me ask the Lord's blessing this for this morning. Lord, would you help us this morning, would your spirit move powerfully in our hearts, convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment, show us where we need to repent, where we need to change our mind and our thinking and our heart's attitudes toward this issue. Lord, we we continue to study your word and seek application of your word to be conformed into your image, to be a glorious display of your glory to this community and to enjoy the, the blessed life of obedience. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right, well, let's answer the question, to marry or not to marry. He gets the answer right up front in verse 25 or 26. He says, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give you my judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. So, I don't have any specific thing that Jesus has said. I don't have specific writing from Jesus. But as the inspired apostle, as one that God chose to give us his wisdom, which has been preserved in the sacred writings of scriptures, he says, this is a trustworthy statement. Here's the answer. Here's his answer. Think, Think about it with me. Marry or not to marry... I think, he says, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is, i.e. not married. Paul says, in view of the present distress, I think it is good for a person to remain unmarried. And all the daddies of daughters said, amen. (laughs) Right? Right? I think it is good that you stay unmarried. Unless you start costing me a bunch of money, then it's like, maybe it's time to move on. At least get a job. And so Paul is saying, it is a good thing to remain unmarried. In the context of Genesis 2, in the Bible says, marriage is a gift from God. He's already covered that in chapter 7. Marriage is a gift from God. It is a gift for a lifetime. This is a good thing to get married. But for those of you who are unmarried, in light of the present distress, it's good that you remain unmarried. Now, what is he talking about, present distress? Well, it's, it's not crystal clear. It could be he's just referring to the crazy, immoral society in which they live. Like, like dads would literally say with daughters, like, oh, man, this, this world is so sexually immoral. It's, it, it's good that you just, I don't know what you're going to find out there. The present distress referring to the sexual immorality or the craziness of the day. Or in a few verses we're going to see, he talks about the return of the Lord is near. The end of the days is near. And maybe that's what he's referring to. He has a very strong sense of the return of the Lord. And so in light of the present distress of this nearness of the return of the Lord, it's good that you remain unmarried. So, before we go on, we need to realize that Paul is walking this balance line, this tightrope that, that I feel the strain uh, when I'm sharing what Paul's saying. saying. It, it's on one side, Paul continues to affirm the beautiful gift of marriage and, and that sex inside of marriage is glorious and wonderful and having children and filling the earth with little children who have raised to worship God is the main thrust of God's plan in Genesis 2 is to that two individuals become one flesh and their one flesh relationship is a, is a glorious display of the mysterious union of God and his people through the Holy Spirit by Jesus Christ. And so all that is good and beautiful and normative and glorious. But over and against that, Paul is saying, if you're unmarried, it's, it's good to be unmarried. That's a good thing. In fact, he's going to go even further and say, that's a wonderful thing. That's an awesome thing. It's something I really want all of you to consider as you kind of go with the flows of society and where it's carrying you. So Paul, to balance this, this balance he's got, this strain between I want to affirm singleness without downplaying marriage and I want to affirm marriage without downplaying singleness... He likes to use principles. Remember what the principle was last week. He said, stay where God has you and be what? Holy. Now, that didn't mean that you couldn't take a different job. Didn't mean you couldn't. He said, now, if you're in a dead-end job, and, and I'm saying stay there and focus on being holy. And then in parentheses, he said, but if you have a chance to get free, that's fine. And he said if you're if you're married to an unbeliever like y'all were married you got saved and now there's this unbeliever unbeliever that's not uh, he says stay where you are and be holy maybe that will lead them to Christ but he says in this little caveat but this is a general principle but if if they leave I'm not saying you're enslaved to them the rest of your life and so he's got this principle he likes to speak in principle with understanding that there are exceptions and so the principle we see again and he's Walk in this balance, look at verse 27. He says, stay as you are. I, would, I love that you would uh, remain as you are. Verse 27, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. That's what I had to go and tell those couples after that first service. I'm like, no, 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 don't seek to be free. This is good. Are you free from a wife? Well, don't seek a wife. Stay as you are. Focus on being holy. And But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. So he's laying down, I want to spend a little more time in this service on that, and say it's not saying that, that being married is wrong, as you see the rest of the message just emphasize how incredibly wonderful it is to stay unmarried, as Paul will describe here. So Paul continues to apply the principle we saw last week, If you're not married, that's fine. If you are married, that's fine. But here he's saying, it's really a good thing to stay unmarried. In fact, Paul's going to go on in chapter 7 and say, I actually prefer you stay unmarried. Look at verse 6 of chapter 7. Go up to verse 6. I'll pick up where he said, now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. And then he says, I wish that all were as I am myself, i.e., unmarried. Paul's saying, look, I wish that all of you unmarried people would stay unmarried just like me. Is that what our culture says? What is our cultural view of marriage? What is our default position as we raise our sons and daughters? Well, you're going to go to high school and we're not going to get too concerned about dating there. We don't need to get caught up in that. You just need to get a degree, graduate, and then when you go to college, you need to get a job and find a spouse and get married and get out of my house. That was a rap song. Find a job, get out of my house, find a spouse. And early service, I started rapping it, and they appreciate it much more than y'all do. So the point is, our default position is get married. And I'm not saying that's wrong. Genesis 2 is, marriage is a gift. But do we understand that staying unmarried is not like a lesser-than position? Staying unmarried is not like, oh, well, marriage didn't work out. You can just stay unmarried. That's not, that's not a good view of things. Whether you are that person or your child is that person or your friend is that person... What Paul is saying is, that's awesome. That's awesome. I wish everyone who, before they got married and were asking this question, to marry or not to marry, I wish they would all have chosen not to marry. What? Why is he saying this? Why is he saying it's a good thing? In fact, I prefer that the unmarried who haven't gotten married yet would stay unmarried. Well, let's look at a few of the reasons why. That's basically what he does the rest of the verses is explain why he says that's, that's a good thing. In fact, why he says, I prefer it. In verse 28, we see the first reason. He says, yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you of that. I, I find that funny. I don't know what his parents' marriage looked like. You know, he's been sitting at the the ballgame watching trying to watch a game with his married couple friends, and he's like, okay, yeah, I want to spare you of what that is. It's not exactly what he's saying. He is saying that having marriage, being married, brings with it its own responsibilities, its own troubles, its own burdens, and rightly so. Paul, the same author, wrote Ephesians 5, and his description of marriage And what the responsibilities or the quote-unquote troubles are is you lay your life down for each other the way Christ laid his life down for the church. That's the troubles he's referring to. He says, husbands, cherish your wives. Wives, embrace the godly leadership of your husbands. Both of you, lay your life down. I always say this because it's just one of those stark moments in people's lives that our dating culture leads people down this path of, of checking out people and figuring out, through dating, who makes me the best me and who makes me the happiest? In other words, selfish, selfish, selfish. And then two people for some reason decide, yeah, that person makes me feel really good about myself and, and vice versa. And so they come and they sit and they're this beautiful young couple, bright eyed. And they're sitting in my office and they're saying, we want to get married. And I said, that's so awesome. Let me tell you about marriage. It's death. <laughs> and they're like, we're going to go now. And I have to explain. Marriage is death in the sense that Paul calls us to die to selfish desires and to meet one another's desires and to promote godliness and to lay down my rights for the blessing of the other. And so Paul is saying... I I would love for you not have to to divide your loyalties as we're going to see. I would love for you to not have to be so burdened and concerned with another person's desires that that's a good thing if you are free from that. Now, hear me now. This culture more and more would say, amen. But it's because they've grown cynical of marriage. And that's not what Paul is saying. They would say, stay single because we've seen marriages, they don't work. Nobody stays married anymore. And my parents weren't happy and and we don't need marriage. So just forget marriage. In fact, go to New Orleans and live your life of selfishness. That is not what Paul is saying, as we'll see in just a minute. Paul is not saying Stay unmarried because marriage doesn't work or stay unmarried so you can be focused on your own selfish desires. Paul is saying, it is good if you can remain unmarried because with marriage comes a lot of responsibilities and a lot of obligations for that spouse. He continues to explain in verse 29 and following. Now, as I read verse 29 Paul's continued explanation of why it's good to remain on marriage unmarried it's rhetoric it's not literal it's rhetoric so when you hear it be careful he says this is what i mean brothers it's good to remain unmarried this is what i mean brothers the appointed time of the lord's return the appointed time has grown very short from now on rhetoric let those who have wives live as those they have none as though they have none And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as those who had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. He's using radical language to convey the radical transformation of values that takes place in those who are born again. He's using radical language to convey the radical transformation of values that takes place in those who are born again. When you are born again and you realize that Christ forgives you, Christ died for you, God gives you credit for his righteousness, he took your place on the cross, you say, I live for Jesus supremely. My purpose in life is to glorify God, to serve God, to spread the kingdom message that the good news of the Messiah, the King, has arrived. His name is Jesus. Put your hope in Jesus. And the more that we grasp that glorious grace, the more we live for Christ, the less we are enslaved to the world and the things of this world. And so as we see the calling of Christ on our life, Every other decision, every other relationship, every other issue is laid at the foot of the cross, and says, "To marry or not to marry? Does this fit in Christ's calling to glorify Him with all of my being? The the goods of this world, the job, the relationships, all those just." are diminished in significance compared to the supreme glory of Christ. That's what Paul is saying. So as you decide to marry or not to marry, it should be laid at the foot of the cross and say, is this a part of God's good plan for me to be devoted to the Lord fully? That's what you want to teach your kids. That's what... Dating or courting or whatever word you want to use. That's what that season is supposed to be. Is do I see God bringing someone into my life who is already pursuing Jesus with undivided loyalty. That I find walking beside me as I pursue Jesus with undivided loyalty. Is it God calling me to say together we will promote that calling in each other's life, that together we will spur each other on, we will encourage each other to pursue Jesus with loyalty. But understand, it's not undivided anymore. Because part of your responsibility in marriage is to lay down your life for that spouse. Therefore, Paul says, So if if you can pursue Jesus with undivided loyalty and not have to divide your devotion and loyalties to a spouse, then I think that's awesome. I think that's great. And he's exalting the value, the virtue of singleness for the sake of devotion to the Lord. Not for the sake of selfishness, but for the sake of devotion to the Lord. We see this undivided devotion in verse 32 and following. Look what he says in verse 32. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties, as he continues to explain. He says the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things and how to please his wife, and rightly so, if they're married. And his interests are divided, and the unmarried... Or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things and how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit. Now here he is softening it now. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. you hear that? So if everyone has everything out of order, and it's all about marriage or not marriage and all this, you say, listen, I just want to get things back in proper order and priority. Devotion to the Lord is first. Marriage, that decision falls under that in light of your calling is to be devoted to the Lord. And so if you can remain unmarried, and stay sexually pure and faithful. And Paul says, then do it. And stay focused on undivided devotion to the Lord. So Paul's not cynical about marriage. Paul's not encouraging to stay unmarried so that you can just be selfish. He's just saying, let's get things in right order. You should be, have undivided devotion to the Lord and you should consider marriage in light of that undivided devotion to the Lord. So Christians, we should have a radically different value system. We should live for Christ supremely. We should say, I'm married to Christ. This is my spouse. I am devoted to serving Christ. And that should be the default position. The, the way we raise our kids is first and foremost as young adults use self-control, aim your life towards being devoted to the Lord, and as you mature into adulthood and you consider marriage, you consider looking for someone to marry, that's fine, but understand, it all falls under the submission of I first and foremost, and undividedly devoted to the Lord who has saved me. If you're married and... You hear Jared stand up and talk about Africa, and you're like, yeah, I want to go to Africa. What do you have to do? What's the very next thing you have to do? Is go home to your spouse, and you're like, uh, so, you heard what Jared said about Africa? Uh-huh. She just, uh-uh. <laughs> uh-uh. Don't even think about it. Or you're like, I'm going home. And I'm going to invite all those dudes, those young med students I'm making to know, I want to go out and eat with them every night. We're going to talk about Jesus, and we're going to be in the Word. And she's like, that's fine after you get those kids bathed, and after you get our homework done, and rightly so. Maggie Hickson is a beautiful example of this. We were talking about it in the coffee shop. When she first came here, she was telling us, I just feel called to, to, to medical missions. And if we're all honest, we're like, oh, that's cute. Yeah, until you meet that guy. She's in Tanzania, Africa, serving the Lord. Jared just got back and said, it is an amazing work. She felt called to stay unmarried, for this season at least, and to be fully devoted to the Lord. Marriage takes devotion. And it should, it is right for a spouse to go home and say, how do you feel about this? But if you're not married, you don't have that concern. And that's where Paul's coming from. You don't have to divide your time and energy and money and emotions and everything else between you, a spouse, and then children if the Lord blesses you with children. Now remember, all throughout Paul, Paul's writings, he's been saying things like, now this isn't a command. These little caveats to say that tightrope, that balancing act, it's not a command. This is a principle. Now, if you can, he, he says, you know, remain unmarried if you can. Now look at verse 36. This is kind of the if you can. If anyone thinks, verse 36, if anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and and has and it has to be. And let him do as he wishes, let him marry, it's not a sin. And so his point is, listen, if you can not get married for the sake of devotion to God and, and you don't have such a strong passion, some people he's saying, probably most people have such a strong passion for, for a spouse and for, for children and for family, he's saying, if that's you, that's okay. But don't assume that's you. Because it's a really good thing if it's not you. Is what Paul is saying. So not everyone will choose to marry, but not everyone will choose to remain unmarried. But for those who are able, stay unmarried and give it all to Christ. Well, who's will, who's able to do that? That's the question that I that I, I was wrestling with as I got here and I think it was so interesting this week this is where I really grew in my understanding of how to think about this and I hope I'm able to bring you along with the journey I've been on think back to verse six again now as a concession not a command I say this I wish that all were as I myself am but each has his own gift from God one of one kind one of another So, this is where you've probably heard the phrase the gift of singleness. Now, what exactly is that? I I had a funny conversation with my wife's already smiling. We had a funny conversation with one of our single friends, she's hilarious. And she said, well, I always kind of thought of the gift of singleness like those footy pajamas that you get at Christmas that nobody wants. And then you got them from the aunt that nobody likes. She said, that's what I've always thought the gift of singleness was like. I was like, okay, well, let's look at the word of God because that's not Paul's view. The gift of singleness. It's also different because I was actually, a month ago when I was writing sermons on chapter 7, I was actually saying, so there's two gifts and putting them parallel. The gift of marriage and the gift of singleness. But in my study I learned that the gift of marriage is more of a general gift. That it is a gift in general. What a gift it is. And it's for most. But what Paul's doing here is he's talking like he does in 1 Corinthians 12, spiritual gifts. A unique, divine, special gift grace holy spirit enablement to do something i.e. to remain unmarried i would say at least for a season i don't think it's an eternal declaration but i think it's like paul talks about the other spiritual gifts that we will look like look at in verse 12 in chapter 12 he's saying god gives some a special spiritual gift to remain unmarried for the purpose of godliness. A spiritual gift, we're not going to cover it all now, but here's what a spiritual gift is. It's a special divine enablement enablement given by God for the benefit of the whole body, that's key, and for the kingdom of God. With that in mind, Paul is saying that remaining single is a divine special enablement by God for the benefit of the whole church body and his kingdom. In his book called Redeeming Singleness, Barry Danilak defines the spiritual gift saying this. He says, quote, the charisma, which is the word for gift, the charisma of singleness is a spirit-enabled freedom to serve the king and the kingdom wholeheartedly, without undue distraction, for the longings of sexual intimacy, marriage. And family. The spiritual, let me repeat that. The charisma of singleness is a spirit-enabled freedom to serve the king and the kingdom wholeheartedly without undue distraction for the longings of sexual intimacy, marriage, and family. Paul seems to describe it a little differently, but you get the same gist. Look at verse 37 in our text today. I think this is his way of saying, if God gives you the gift of singleness, or if he just enables you by his grace to stay fully devoted to him, not to be distracted by others, he says in verse 37, whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this, In his or her heart. You see, I think that's Paul's language of calling. He's saying, listen, if God has enabled you to stay determinedly focused on him, undivided devotion to him, and you're able to control your desires, then God is saying, you can do this. This is a good thing to stay focused on serving the Lord. There's a freedom that God gives. Now, in my study this week, as I kept studying what does this mean, I started really thinking, man, that's exactly how I think about my calling, my giftedness. Now, So I'm not trying to make this about me, but I want you to understand how I think about it because I think it's where we all kind of generally do. If I think you think about my giftedness or pastor's giftedness and calling in a very high esteem. And I think you think about it very well. And I think what I'm trying to help you see is Paul is saying this singleness is on the same level. And so when I think about My calling, it wasn't like there was something written on the wall like go into the full-time ministry. It was never that clear. I wanted it to be that clear. But it was more tied to giftedness that I began to learn and recognize and long for being able to do these things. And and the giftedness that if God has given me the gift of preaching or leadership or vision, that as I began to discover those things and as the church needed those things and there was opportunity for those things, there was the giftedness and the opportunity became my calling to the ministry and people are very gracious towards that and, and affirm that and say, man, what a, it's so awesome. We're thankful that you're willing to go sacrifice from all those other worldly jobs. Are you seeing the parallel? That you're willing to, to sacrifice from those worldly jobs and all those other things. Now, it didn't mean I didn't have desires. I have desires for business. I love business. I sit down with businessmen all the time. I'm going, tell me about your business. I love it. And I have visions and I have entrepreneurial desires and I love that stuff. But somehow, at the end of the day, I, at this season of my life, feel like this is where God has called me because of my giftedness and I'm serving the Lord irregardless of the fulfillment of those desires. And you give me a lot of credit for that and I appreciate that. But let's think about that now, a parallel idea with those who are given the gift of singleness or called to singleness. It's, it is on par with that. That if God gives someone the grace and the calling, the passion, the willingness to say, I have desires for marriage. I have desires for, for relationship and for family and children. But at this season, I feel God saying, I can do this and I want to give him my all. I don't want those distractions. That God, maybe God wants me for a season on the mission field, or maybe God, maybe this church needs me to be able to give more time and more energy. And we should say, yes. Thank you for making that kind of decision, that kind of sacrifice, not for selfish desires, but for the kingdom, and to remain un- undivided devotion to the Lord. And so that should be the way we think about. The calling to singleness or the gift of singleness. It doesn't mean forever. I don't know my season. I don't know how long God will call me to do what this this calling is. But there will be a time where it changes. And the same may be true for someone unmarried. There will be a time where that may change. But for a season, have you ever asked God, Do you want me to stay single so I can be focused, fully devoted to your service? And if so, we should say, well done, well done. I am so grateful that you have responded to that calling on your life. And every time I say something, I feel like Paul, not that it's sin to get married. It's okay to get married. That's good too. But what does it tell you about your marriage? You should be saying, does this potential marriage partner encourage such similar devotion in my life? In verse 38, Paul shows us how his language is so different than the language of our culture. Or perhaps some of you may have thought about your own situation of being unmarried. He uses words like better and happier. Verse 38, so then he who marries his betrothed does well. That's fine. And he who refrains from marriage will do even better. He's working against that flow. That's even better. Verse 39, A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Make sure that if she does, if a widow does remarry, it needs to be in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she's even happier if she remains unmarried. And I think I have the spirit on this, Paul says. He's saying, look, it's even better. What is the point here? There is no greater treasure than full undivided devotion to the Lord. There's no greater satisfaction than that. None. Your spouse cannot be your God. If you think getting married is going to complete you or make you happier, he's saying it's even better to be married to the Lord. Don't lose that focus. So don't buy in the lies of our culture that make sex, marriage, and family the gods that will satisfy, because they will not. Only Christ will satisfy Absolutely, if you have desires to pray for a marriage, pray for a marriage, pray for a spouse. Look for a spouse if you have that desire, but strive to maintain the proper perspective. Strive to maintain satisfaction in the Lord, contentment in the Lord. Pray, not my will but thine, Lord. And have you ever prayed as an unmarried person? Lord, give me the gift of singleness. I've never prayed it. Have you ever prayed that? I never prayed it when I was single. I didn't have a mature view of things. I didn't have a biblical view of, thing, view of things. 1 Corinthians 14, 1, Paul says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. This is a spiritual gift. Earnestly desire it. Lord, give me undivided. Lord, be so Wonderful in my heart that you are all I want and need. That's a beautiful prayer. Every single person should ask the Lord for the grace to use their life, their resources, their time, their energy for the glory of God. And so that means that if you're married, that's your same devotion. The values of Christ. Christ, when you're born again, flips your values upside down and says, I am supreme in your marriage that means if you're considering marriage, you better be considering someone who gets that and wants that and will promote that in your marriage. And that means if you're not considering marriage and you're saying, I don't want that right now, I want to be focused squarely on the Lord, then we say, praise the Lord, well done. Father God, I pray that you will continue to mold us into your image as a result of studying your scriptures. Today, we're reminded that you are supremely valuable in our lives. You deserve our service. You win our service with your love and grace and mercy. When we put our faith in your son Jesus, you declare us righteous, you consider us holy even though we're not and you promise to transform us into your holiness. Lord, you've redeemed us. You've purchased our life from the pit. May we be wholly devoted to you and if we're Unmarried, may our lives, may may our consideration of marriage be in light of that calling. And if we are married, may our lives as married couples be committed to promoting that calling in each other's lives. Lord, make this church beautiful bride of Christ to your glory in this community. It's in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen.